Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily, where every day of the week we are breaking down a question, event, news, or trend. Today is going to be heavy on the trend, just a forewarning. My name is Bobby Corella. I'm from Mavs Digital. Joining me today, now that he's done taking a giant swig from a, a water bottle, rocking the man bun, Isaac Harris. How are you? Hey, I'm taking a drink from Dallas Mavericks sponsored Mountain Valley Spring Water. Ooh, that is the official spring water of the locker room. I don't know if they are actually a sponsor of the Mavs, but they should be. I'm not going to lie. That's the only reason I tried it out. Like, I guess it was three or four years ago. I saw Dirk walking into the game. I'm like, this is how sponsorships work, okay? I don't even know if he has anything with Mountain Valley, but I saw that, and then I saw it at the grocery, and I literally said to myself, if Dirk drinks this, then it has to be good. And I've bought it ever since. I just buy a couple when I go to the grocery. And so, shout out to Dirk in Mountain Valley. If Dirk likes it, it has to just be delicious. It has to. You know? It has to. And it'll, like, prolong your life. It's There's probably some fountain of youth water in there, too. It's just a really, really high-quality water. Um, so, this is, of course, Mavs Daily. Throughout the week so far, Isaac and I have been kind of breaking down, like, some of the big um, questions, sort of things we're looking for. Yesterday's episode, we talked a little bit about uh, kind of the rotation and, and how certain positional battles can shake out. But going back to the first episode from this week, whenever we talked about kind of big overarching takes from the offseason, we kind of both agreed that this offseason was about upgrading the defense, you know, ensuring that the team has plenty of depth. But really, behind every move were some pretty obvious motives. One, they wanted to get some younger guys. You know, they drafted three players. Uh, and they traded for Josh Richardson, who's a few years younger than Seth Curry. But also, they want to get better at defense. And they need to get better at defense. And that's kind of the prevailing thought from everybody that talks, writes, sings, dances about this team. Is defense has to be better. Isaac, I'm sure you've talked about it a million times on Locked on Mavs. Skin and I have talked about it on numbers on the boards. But I wanted the two of us to join forces today to talk about some stats, to talk about some eye tests, to talk about some opinions about why that is so important. And so before I go way down the stats rabbit hole and bore everyone to tears, they're going to have to listen on like 0.5 speed to absorb all this crap I'm about to spew at them. I want to start with you. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Mavs defense and, and wh where is kind of your headspace at on how much they improved? Did they improve enough? And where's kind of the sweet spot in, in your mind that they, they're trying to get to? Yeah, well, I mean, two sides of basketball, offense, defense. And last year, Dallas, we've heard this a million times, too, that Dallas was number one in the league uh, and historically when it comes to, uh, you know, running the offense and efficiency in the offense. So, you know, if you naturally want to look at, OK, well, offense, we're good. Let's look at the defense there. And, you know, when you look at teams, you look at even the best teams in the league last year, even just looking at the Lakers, the Lakers, you know, they're 11th in offense, but they were third in the league in defense. And I mean, you look across the board and Clippers, the Clippers were second in the league in offense and fifth in defense. That's a pretty dang good uh, top five in both of them. That's really, really good. So if you want to be a really good team in the league, your defense has to be good. And for Dallas, they were in this in the bottom half of the league and you know defensively and now i mean what what's the biggest goal we mentioned it i guess on, on yesterday's pod is like can we get in the top half at least get in the top half preferably if you can get in the sweet spot if you can be in the top 10 both offensively which i think we're both okay with that there'll be a top 10 offense this year conservatively yes They'll be in top 10 in offense, but can Dallas jump from 18th to like a 10, at least like a 10, 11, 12, something like that, preferably higher? 
I think that's the goal for Dallas this year. So they were so much better than everybody else offensively last year. 2.5 points per 100 possessions better than the Clippers, who were in second place. If they were, if you just take those 2.5 points away from the offense and give them to the defense, which of course you can't do, but if you did, they would have jumped from 18th to 9th. So basically, they were like significantly better than everyone else on offense than they were on defense. And so of the spirit behind these moves, like you swap Seth Curry for Josh Richardson, you know what you're giving away and you know what you're getting. Uh, their heart is in the right place on that. I'm glad you brought up the Lakers, who were third on defense last year. If you run down the list of your past NBA champions, going back all the way to, I think it's 1996 is the first year that NBA stats has like full uh, per 100 possessions numbers. That's your offensive and defensive rating. All but two champions, I want to say, in the last 25 years have been outside the top 10 in defense. And both of wow. them were number 11. And one of those teams was the Warriors from 2018, who were like so much better than everybody else that like they weren't even trying, openly weren't even trying in the regular season. And so their 11th rating doesn't matter, especially because the three years before that, they were like top three every single year. So we know that they can defend. You have to be, if you want to win a championship, you really have to be in the top 10. If you want to make the playoffs, you have to be top half. Uh, like you said, last year they ranked 18th. They were the worst of all the other 15 top eight teams in the West, the only team that made the playoffs that was worse than them was Portland and Portland only snuck in by virtue of the play in game. And so, I mean, that's not, that's not great company, Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even looking at the, you know, in the, I mean, in the East across uh, over to the Eastern conference, you know, the bucks were eighth in offense last year, but they were number one in defense. Um, you know, Miami in the playoffs, they are, I mean, in the finals this past year, they were seventh, but then they were 12th in defense, but still they, I, and I feel like you got to have the personnel too, to be able to, you know, to make it click in the playoffs. It's not just about the regular season. You look at, um, look at the difference. And I know offensively you have LeBron and AD, but you look at a, a team like Portland with Lillard and McCollum and those guys. And I know they had some injuries in that first round. But what what was the thing that you know Carlisle pointed out the other day? He didn't point out the Lakers' offense that made them you know click after losing that first game against Portland. He's like they had that ability to clamp down, and after they lost that first game, the Lakers clamped down on defense and just routed the rest of the series. And I think it was Tim. Uh, if y'all if you haven't listened, go to Mavs.com the uh, YouTube page and listen to the uh, the media sessions from earlier or from yesterday of Tim and KP. But I think it was Tim who said that coach to, Coach RC by the way. Uh, Tim. Oh, they're Carlisle. on an initial basis now. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Tim, Tim said uh, Coach RC, and I was like the cola. Uh, but <laughs> he said Coach. You know, Coach said defense travels, and I think that's such an important thing to keep in mind that. That's another way to win basketball games. If you're going to be very, very good in the league and you want to win a championship, you have to win different ways. And if your offense isn't clicking some nights, if you're, for Dallas last year, if their offense wasn't clicking, they're probably not going to win a game, okay? But if you're good defensively, that keeps you in games of these some of these games that if your shot is sucking that night and nobody's hitting, but you're playing really, really good defense, that gives yourself the chance to actually win the game. And that's what Dallas is missing. That is the key element of it all. Okay, so part one of Bobby's stat dump of the day is what, what? how did the Mavs perform last season whenever they weren't playing historically good offense? And now, as we go into this season, 
these scenarios are going to become important because a team is only historically good at something like usually one time records were made to be broken but it's very it's very difficult to be significantly better than everybody else at one thing two years in a row so Dallas could still very well be the number one or top five offense or whatever but I mean you got to be able to win multiple ways like you just said okay so last season the Mavs number one offense of all time in terms of efficiency but what happened whenever they had an off night Isaac when Dallas scored below 112 points per 100 possessions okay I know that's an arbitrary cutoff, but that's because only six teams averaged that for the entire season. So when Dallas wasn't a top 20% offense in games last year, they were 8-21. and 8-21. Extrapolate that over an 82-game season. You're winning like 23-24 games. You know, they were very, very poor in those games. And now what happened whenever they played good defense? So regardless of the offense last season, when they allowed – Fewer than 110 points per 100, and that number is significant, not only because it's a round number, you know, we love zeros at the end of our numbers, but also Houston ranked 15th at 109.8. And so when Dallas just ranked basically top half in the league in games last season in defense, they were 22-8, and eight. like 22-8 wow. and eight over an 82-game 80 game, 82 game season. It's like almost a 60-win pace. I mean, like, th- that's like an extreme um, – indicator that upgrading on defense will serve them well because and again we cannot take for granted that they will just be historically good on offense again but they can get a little worse on offense if they get a lot better on defense and and that is kind of the goal of this whole thing is to be able to win in different ways you can win whenever you can outscore opponents but that should not be the only and cannot be the only way that you win games if you're trying to win a playoff series and I love that stat I love that you pulled that out because it's, it's like, once again, you put a, a stat behind the comment of you got to win different ways. And there are some games that, you know, they're fun. Shootouts are fun. We all enjoy shootouts are that are in, the, are in the 130s. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. I feel like I'm watching Adrian Dantley and Alex English or something. But I think there's something. It's kind of like the NFL, too. It's like it's fun sometimes to watch NFL and see like these shootouts. I know not everyone is excited for the defensive game in in football, but uh, or American football I should say that. But I actually like it. I'm a, I'm a Ravens fan, and oh, yeah. I actually, as a Ravens Steelers guy, you're like that's your. Bread I and enjoy butter. watching those games. There's I, I, there's nothing like for me watching a nine to six game in the second half because I just love seeing the strategy and and all. Like you have to be able to win different ways, and I the first time we see Dallas clamp down on defense and it's a really big defensive game and it's a lower scoring game and let's just say the final score is in like the 90s or the you know the 80s something like that and I see Dallas pull away like a gritty tough win I'm gonna be so proud like I'm just gonna be just smiling ear to ear because that's gonna be the difference in the Mavericks team this year compared to last year yeah and to add on to that another eye-popping one 33 and 14 last season Isaac whenever they allowed 115 points or less 115 it's not asking for much you know just like don't don't give up 120 and you'll win 75 games um and i I wonder what the clutch stats on that too i should have i looked at some clutch stats but i couldn't find like what how much how many points they you know gave up in the clutch because we've all talked about the clutch conversation of how uh bad dallas was in the clutch last year 
and how much of that was not just offense. I we've talked about offense numbers so much, their field goal percentage, and how much they you know they lacked getting to the free throw line in the clutch last year, and all of that. But how was their defense in the clutch too? You have to assume that they can get better defensively during those clutch minutes too. Yeah, I I looked at those numbers. I want to say a couple weeks ago, preparing for the episode I did with Skin on numbers on the boards, but. They were like below average, but they weren't as bad as they were on offense. I mean, the clutch offense was a a, a big bummer last season. I mean, everybody knows that. But the the defense still, timely stops matter a whole heck of a lot. And no matter how they fared for the entire season, in the playoffs, whenever they needed big stops against the Clippers, they came up short a lot of those times. You know, so that is... Uh, th- that is something to, to, to look at as well. Um, okay, so before we get too far into like this season, the upgrades that they made and how it could pay off and uh, like what holes they're trying to patch, I want to talk about the way the Mavs defend first to sort of like frame everything that we're about to talk about. So the way the Mavs defend is typically they're playing three or four perimeter players. Uh, so that's guards and forwards. Oftentimes, especially last season after Dwight Powell got hurt, they'll have one true big man on the floor. It'll just be Porzingis or just be Boban or whoever. Typically what they're doing whenever a team sets a pick and roll is the Mavs are dropping their big man. It's called a drop coverage. They're dropping the big man, so that's KP or Boban, sometimes Maxi, Dwight Powell, whoever the center is, will drop way beneath the screen, like down almost inside the paint, uh, to let the whole play happen in front of him so he sees both the screener and the ball handler and he's basically giving ground to the ball handler in the mid-range area of the floor because even the best mid-range shooters are only shooting like 40 45 sometimes 50 percent from that range still a low percentage shot uh, produces low expected points certainly less points than you would get from attempting a layup which you're going to make 70 75 percent of the time and so if you're a KP or Boban, you don't want to be stepping out guarding Damian Lillard or you know Russell Westbrook or James Harden if they're going to get downhill. So the Mavs will drop those guys back, allow them to pull up for a 20-footer if they want, or uh, you know the other, they're going to have to swing the ball around, waste more time off the shot clock and all that stuff. And so that's, that's the way that Dallas defends. Milwaukee defends that way. Brooklyn defends that way with DeAndre Jordan. A lot of Utah defends that way with Gobert. A lot of the best defenses defend that way. And so what you're going to have is typically those teams are going to allow a lot of mid-range shots and a lot of threes and very few shots at the rim. So last year, the the number of layups that the Mavs gave up does stand out in your mind. I'm almost sure of it. Uh, but just know that Dallas opponents actually shot pretty poorly in the restricted areas. So Milwaukee was number 50, it was number one in the league. Opponents shot 55% against them in the restricted area, which is like insanely bad. Every other team allowed at least 59%. The Mavs allowed 63%, which is top half in the league. The problem is they allowed 29 shots in the restricted area per game, which is like a bottom 10 number. So teams were getting into the paint a lot, which means that they were having a lot of perimeter breakdowns. Uh, Guys were getting past the first line of defense and that's why getting somebody like Josh Richardson was so important because he can contain those ball handlers or at least hopefully can do so on the outside so I was looking like all right so this is the the foundation of their defense so what would you think the Mavs were bad at if a team is going to defend that way I would say well okay they're going to give up a lot of made threes and teams are going to shoot really well against them in the mid-range and maybe score in some other junky ways like transition or something but I was looking at the Mavs synergy page Isaac you and I reference synergy a lot 
Um, the full details of this stuff is kind of behind a paywall, but a lot of this stuff is public, uh, publicly available at NBA Stats. Great website. Go check it out. The Mavs weren't really bad at anything last year. Uh, at, at all the main plays, your spot-ups, pick-and-roll ball handlers, pick-and-roll roll man, transition, isolation, post-up, cuts, offensive rebounds, handoffs, coming off screens, they weren't really bad at anything. In fact, they were only ranked below average in one thing, and that's handoffs, which comprised only 5% of their possessions. They ranked good or very good in almost every area. They were above average in almost everything, uh, but the problem is they weren't great really at anything. So it's kind of a jack of all trades, master of none situation. And whenever you're giving up layups every now and then, that's going to skew your numbers. So like you can play good, you can play well 90% of the time, but if 10% of your possessions, you're having a catastrophic breakdown, then that's enough to undo your defense. And if that happens every game, then that is where it's going to kind of bite you. If they basically, what I'm saying is, and then I'll, I'll give the floor back to you so everyone can sort of say, God, shut up. What I'm saying is their rules and the framework of their system are very good. They are allowing kind of the right shots. In fact, the the last thing, there's there's a stat called quantitative shot quality. This is a second spectrum stat. Uh, which basically represents like if the average team, the average player is taking the shot, this is what their expected field goal percentage will be on that shot. Their expected effective field goal percentage will be on that shot. Dallas allows a very, very, uh, I guess, favorable for them diet of shots, 11th best in the NBA among all defenses. So they allowed the right kinds of shots. It just so happens that opponents made a lot of them because there were some mistakes. Uh, the, the disparity between the expected effective field goal percentage and the actual effective field goal percentage was very wide. So even though Dallas is allowing the right kind of shots, there is still a sort of disconnect, whether it's due to personnel or breakdowns or just dumb luck, that was kind of the driving force behind their their poor performance last season. Yeah, I loved how you pointed out that, you know, when in regards to the points in the paint, that it's not just I think sometimes we can uh you know just from our perspective a fan perspective we can uh equate the you know points in the paint to the big man and it's like all right well a team with a go bear is great with points in the paint because they have go bear and I get it or it, it's like if a team is bad with points in the paint it's like oh that's all on KP that's not all, all on KP and because you mentioned that a lot of times it that means there's a breakdown on the perimeter allowing these players to get into the paint so I'm glad that you pointed that out and you know um, according to basketball reference the Mavs were 19th in points allowed in the paint last year which isn't you know horrible but we could that's still in the bottom half can we get that who were in- do you have that list in front of you right now I don't know. Oh, okay. I just have it in my notes. Because okay. I would imagine like the top five, top ten in that are like all home court advantage teams. Yeah, that's probably that's probably true. That's probably true. And and teams that have good you know uh, perimeter defenders. And you know I was looking at uh, it was funny you know percentage as far as man defense, the zone defense. Because I was looking at the synergy page uh, for the team for the Mavericks, and I was going down. I'm like, okay, what's something they're like excellent in? And it says zone defense, and it's like, all right, cool. The Mavs are great in you know, third, ranked third in the league. Let's just throw it out that out there. Uh, but the context of it was uh, they only played zone defense for five percent of the uh, of the time. Well, Rome wasn't built in a day, Isaac. <laughs> We're not Syracuse guys, okay? So, uh, but 
you know, it's a, it's a stark difference there between, you know, 5% of the time they play that zone defense, you kind of just throw it out there. Uh, but they were good at it when they did throw it out there. But what do you play most of the time? That's man defense. And that was 95% of their defense. And they were just averaging that. And, you know, like we said, they were 18th in the league in defensive um, defense rating in the league. But I think when I look at, like, isolation defense, that was the one category for them that they ranked average in and not, like, you know, good or very good. And you look at just isolation defense for the team and who who were the top isolation defenders for the Mavericks this past year. And it was very clear for them. It was Maxi and Dorian Finney-Smith. You know, Maxi 18% of the time, Dorian Finney-Smith 13% of the time, and the guy after that was Luca. which I don't want to take it. I do want to say, I know we hear this all the time of like, hey, you know, it's watch out. But uh, people overlook or, you know, all these like comments just say this is something you don't, you know, remember. Not enough but, people are talking about this. Exactly, exactly. Luca's defense wasn't bad in the bubble. Yeah, he was, he was I, pretty good. He was pretty good. It was the best defense I've seen from Luca uh, since he in he's been in the league. I know it's been a short amount of time, but um, but anyway, it's like Maxi was a very good defender. I even looked up that's very good as far as synergy was. I looked up guys who had have have had over a hundred possessions, a minimum of a hundred possessions in isolation defense in the league, and there's only been three of them, and we're in the top three were Bam, Gobert, and Maxi as far as points per possession. Uh, they were all under, um, you know, Bam was number one at .65 points per possession, then Gobert at .66, and then Maxi at .81. And it's like, all right, like, Maxi was the best isolation defender for Dallas last year, but the best part about that is they're still on the team. And it's not like we're swapping these guys out. They added to it. And I think that's the key part that we even mentioned on yesterday's pod that, they're, it's all about bringing more bodies to this. They kept Maxi and Dorian. They could still play defense, but then we brought in a Josh Richardson. Then we brought in a James Johnson. Then we brought in a Josh Green. Now, now there's multiple guys instead of like what you've referenced so many times. It's like, all right, well, now we're going to get somebody. Well, it's either Dorian or Maxi, one of the two guys. Or if one of them's hurt or in foul trouble, it's like, well, crap, like you can't get hurt because you're one of the only guys we have left uh, to do this. So now we have multiple guys, multiple guys to kind of groom into that role. And when one gets in foul trouble, we have another guy we can bring out there. And I think that's one of the biggest difference roster construction wise defensively that this Mavericks team will have this year. Yeah. And that switchability is super important because I had kind of like suspected this and I'm sure I'm not the only one or unique. I mean, everybody watches all the games and everything, but it, it really felt like last year in particular, Dallas gave up. They, they actually ranked like above average in transition defense or right at average. And these descriptors, by the way, good, very good, excellent, average, uh, below average, and then I think poor is the final one. These are like from Synergy. So if you rank like whatever in the top five, you're excellent. Five to ten is very good, whatever. So these are that, that's, that's what we're talking about. But um, they were fine in transition. That's my word, not Synergy's. Uh, but where they struggled last year and kind of like the most like hair pulling, just like ah moments felt like came off of made baskets. Like there were just like lapses mm-hmm. when it came to getting back on defense. And, and I mean, everybody notices all this stuff. It's not unique, but I've been thinking about this for a really long time. Like what's going on there? I mean, like what, what's the deal with that? And so I pulled up trusty uh, PBP stats since for play by play, I'm sure. But uh, it's a free site. It's a great site, pbpstats.com. There's a lot of like 
uh, Wowie with or without you combinations for lineups and players and all that stuff. But uh, there's a there's a this chart that shows teams and opponents uh, points per possession and pace off of following an event, right? So a made shot, a missed shot, a free throw, a three a at the rim, a, you know, turnover, a timeout, a steal, a block, all that stuff. And the Mavs, once again, defensively, they didn't really rank poorly, too poorly, I guess I should say, in many things. I mean, they were fine. They were actually top 10 in some things. They were, they were like, oh, you know, about average. But the one thing, and this isn't just, it's not a one small thing because this is like a, a huge part of the game. The one area where they really, really, really struggled in last season was points per possession allowed following a made field goal. They were 25th in the league in that category, and they make 40 shots a game or something. And so that me and you know you shoot what? Uh, let's just pretend they shoot 50 percent. They don't, but let's just pretend that they do. It means half the time you're defending 25th best in the NBA, and off a mm-hmm. off a missed shot, they defended 15th best. So they were like fine. They were league average, but off a made shot, 25th. And what's so even, what you're saying is they're really enjoying these made shots. Yeah, like they're, they're the, like Nick young it up, you know, just like with the yeah, they're they're Maxi is like literally pulling out a cell phone, like calling his friend, like Max, no, get on defense, you know. Uh, <laughs> but what's funny is that they actually allowed the same opponent efficiency off a made shot or a missed shot. Like ordinarily, your defense is worse off a missed shot because you know there's transition numbers, fast breaks, all that stuff. Well, team scored just as effectively against the Mavs off a made shot, which is really bizarre. So I was thinking, okay, well, that kind of confirms what I was thinking. So here's my like sneaking suspicion about the whole thing is last season, especially after the Powell injury, Dallas was playing Luka and Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway and Dorian Finney-Smith as the forwards around Porzingis. Well, whenever you have Curry on the floor and Luka on the floor and Tim on the floor, like they all kind of have very specific sort of like matchup tendency, sort of like... uh, I guess I don't even know what you would call it. like Seth Curry is defending very specific kinds of players, right? At six one, six two, you know, he's not gonna be able to just defend the power forward for a position. And on offense, Dallas forces so many switches because they run so many screens, ball screens, off screens, they they are are, are constantly moving. And so at, by the end of an average Mavs possession, almost everybody is being defended by somebody else than when the possession started, right? And so all these cross matches exist, whether the shot goes in or not. And so like going back to the defensive end, Seth Curry or Jalen Brunson or JJ Barea or whoever is scrambling back to guard their specific guy. Well, Dorian's like, all right, all right, where's the best player? I got to go find him. Tim is like, all right, where's the second best player? I got to go find him. Luke is like, where's the guy that's going to make me run the least? I got to go find them. So all of these guys are like having to find the precisely the exact player that they're supposed to be guarding. And all of that stuff takes a second longer than it should. And so that, I think, is where a lot of those easy buckets came from is like, well, maybe they just couldn't get to him in time or maybe they didn't get to the right guy at all. And so now Seth is having to defend Paul Millsap for this possession. What are we going to do? There's a there's a 50-pound difference here. And, and so that's why adding like Josh Richardson into the starting lineup is so important because 
he and Dorian Finney-Smith can just guard whichever good player is closest to them whenever the shot goes up. You know, like you're just giving yourself more options, more versatility, and, and, and you're limiting yourself much less in terms of the scope of types of players that these guys can defend. And I think that's really important. Now, maybe I'm just an idiot, but I, I feel like that could be something that changes for the better for them this season. Yeah, well, I mean, just look at the sizes of the players. I mean, there's only a couple of guys now that – are under what six five? I mean, we're looking at Tyrell Terry, we're looking at Burke Brunson, um, I guess JJ. But it's like, you know, that starting unit that we're, we're probably looking at of you know a Luca and Richardson and Hardaway and Dorian, let's say KP, or if it's Powell at the beginning or whoever it is. It's like these are all guys. The smallest guy in the lineup six five, and that's Josh Richardson. And like that, that's a big lineup. You know, your point guard's Luca at six eight. So I mean that. That size right there, and to be able to have multiple guys on the floor, like you said, of Richardson and a Dorian, two perimeter defenders plus defenders, or having, I mean, if there's some lineups that you have Maxi, Dorian, and Richardson on the floor at the same time, or if Josh Green continues to develop and you're throwing Josh Green and Dorian and Richardson on the floor together at the same time, it's like so much of it is matchup dependent. And so that's where the flexibility Dallas will have this season. I mean, I know we keep saying it, it's just, it's something we're not used to. And it, so much of defense is about hustle and effort and all of that, but the fine tuning of it and all the stuff you have to learn in team defense, this is what's happening right now. That's what happened. That's what's happening this week, next week, when they're all together and they're all working together. This is the main, main focus of this Mavericks team and camp. And they're not shy about it. This was day one. Rick said, this is our goal. This is the thing they're focusing on. So they're welcoming the target in, in calling it out and saying, this is the main thing that we're going to work on and focus on this training camp. They're bringing the target on their back because if they, if they start off the season and they're allowing a ton of points a game and their defense looks the same, then there's going to be some questions asked by a lot of people because they knew that this was the focus. So you know that this is I'm, – I'm, I'm just anxious as a fan to see what this Mavericks defense looks like. Yeah, and the, the personnel that's, – that's why I, th- I feel like it was important to talk about kind of like the rules that they play by earlier because – you know, playing that specific style of defense against a pick and roll where you drop the big man back matches Porzingis and Kali Stein and Boban, all these guys. It matches their skill set perfectly, but you have to give them the perimeter guys who can execute it as well. And so that's yeah. why getting Richardson, bringing in James Johnson, like longer guys, you know, Awundu and Josh Green and, and, and Tyler Bay, you know, if he spends time up here, longer, versatile guys that can do that stuff, that can switch and not get, you know, not get beat up, that can guard multiple guys that, that without giving anything up and, and and that's that's really 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 important because now the kind of the personnel is catching up to the scheme and to the vision and there, there are a couple other areas that I want to highlight real quick before we sort of I guess wrap things up or, or take it to its conclusion there were three areas last season that I, I want to at least mention so first fouling last year Dallas didn't really foul that much all right. At least they didn't give up a lot of free throws. Opponents shot uh, free throw rate. So how many free throws you take per field goal attempt or per 100 field goal attempts or whatever. Dallas was sixth best in the NBA in that regard. And so teams are not shooting a lot of free throws against them. And that's been the case for a long time. Not only do they play this conservative defense where you're not contesting ball handlers as much, you're dropping back, seeding these mid-range shots that you're 
that's fine. You're not going to foul someone shooting a, an 18 footer. Um, I will say the one area that they really kind of struggled in last year is they fouled a lot of three point shooters, specifically Damian Lillard and James Harden. And so that's something where, you know, you hope guys are a little less handsy um, in that regard, but not, not allowing free throws is very good. Obviously um, defensive rebounding. That's a big part of defense. This has been something that Twitter has been complaining about forever and I keep saying this all the time and no one cares, but Dallas was the eighth best defensive rebounding team in the NBA last season based off percentage. So how many shot, how many opportunities for defensive rebounds are there and how many do you grab? Dallas had a 74% uh, defensive rebound percentage last year, which ranked eighth best in the NBA. Okay. They've been a top 10 rebounding team for a very long time. I know it doesn't matter because you only remember the ones that they don't get, but that's that's another big one. And then the biggest one, Isaac, and this is a this is a really tough one, and it's a really tricky one. Whenever you drop these big men back, you are not um, you're not really going to create a lot of turnovers because you're you're playing very conservative, right? Yeah. So Milwaukee, like the, one of the big criticisms actually of Jason Kidd whenever he was in Milwaukee is he had them employ this really aggressive uh, pick and roll coverage where they would like send like almost all five guys the ball handler and so they forced a lot of turnovers but whenever you beat them they they gave up a lot of layups I mean it was a it was a big problem for them so instead Milwaukee switched to this hyper conservative uh drop coverage with Brooke Lopez and Dallas last season ranked dead last in opponent turnover percentage opponents turned it over just 11.9 percent of the time against the Mavs, which ranked 30th out of 30 teams. The other teams down and there with them are 29th all... In, what's up? My bad. I was just going to add, they were 29th in steals last year. So adding to the, they they didn't create turnovers. Yeah, and, and turnovers obviously lead to fast breaks, which leads to easy points. And if, if your opponent doesn't take a shot, that means they can't score. So that's really good. Um, but Dallas employs this very conservative scheme. And all of the teams that ranked bottom five, bottom 10 last year play the same way. Counting up, Dallas, Utah, Brooklyn, Portland with the Sun Whiteside plays that way. Milwaukee ranked 24th. The Clippers ranked 23rd. They did that with Zubats. So whenever you play that way, you're kind of, you know, costing yourself an opportunity to force turnovers. But at the same time, you're protecting the big man and all that stuff. So that's a conscious decision. But those are three big areas of defense that can be very, like, polarizing if you're talking about rebounding or, like, maybe underrated if you're talking about free throws um, or you know, kind of self-sabotaging if you're talking about turnovers. But again, would you rather go for the chance to get a steal or totally prevent your opponent from getting a layup? It's a, it's a tricky question. More and more teams are choosing the latter, but that's kind of three other areas that I, I wanted to mention for sure. Can I ask you a question? Do you think the conservative, you know, drop coverage, the, the conservative approach to defense, do you think that was because of personnel? Basically, now with Dallas having some flexibility and some more guys on the wing and Richardson and some of these guys, do you think you could see Dallas switch up their approach to defense and be more of an aggressive defense? Or do you just think that they will be better at the conservative defense? I think, well, I think they're definitely going to be better at the conservative defense, no matter what, simply because of personnel. But what I'm curious about is, you know, I think you have to play drop with KP because you just don't want him stepping on the perimeter trying to stay in yeah. front of Dame. I mean, you just you don't want that. We, in, in the bubble, Dame had a great game because KP was stepping out, and I'm not picking on KP. Dame does that to everybody. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's 7'3". You yeah, you're like, not going to expect him to. Dame's, there was this uh, this tweet the other day that showed Dame's scoring averages against certain teams last year, and it was like, good God, that all happened in one season. Um, 
Dame's going to do that to a lot of people. So, but where where I wonder if they'll deviate a little bit is if uh, Powell is the only big man. You know, like oftentimes last year he was playing out there with KP, and so you were still dropping because KP was back there. But if Powell is the only big man, or if Maxi's the only big man, or interestingly, maybe if Willie is the only big man, like I wonder if they'll mm-hmm. let him step out a little more because he's kind of quicker. Um, you know, he he's much more agile, almost like a guard, um, even though he does have kind of the shot blocking tendencies that KP does. He can step out a little bit too. And so I wonder if they'll do that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's a good way to defend, um, the Lakers play drop. I mean, a lot of teams drop their big men back, but I think having the flexibility to do both. And certainly if they play like, you know, James Johnson at five or, you know, Dorian at five, they won't do that. They'll just switch everything. But, uh, that's kind of the, the invoke strategy now because you're just exposing your center to far fewer mismatches, which is really, really important, not just from like a, you know, health standpoint or whatever, uh, but also like straight up just like mismatches, just mis- mismatches. Easy for me to say, but mismatches suck. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, and that's exactly why I wanted to ask you that because now we know that they'll be better in that, better in that conservative approach than last year with more, flexible roster now but now i think it i mean it does just give them options i I think that's the biggest thing is like it gives them options to where they want to go man they want to double more they want to do you just have a a more diverse defensively roster now that you can play around with and tinker with oh man my brain hurts isaac my brain hurts are there any uh i mean this we're you know we're kind of we're kind of going a little long here anyway but are, are there any other areas of defense while we're here that you're thinking about or, or any other like I don't know any other talking points that we didn't hit on um you know more than the generic is there anything else you want to talk about but like I mean is there anything that we haven't touched on yet I'll just say this I think in particular you look at the Lakers last year when they ranked outside the top 10 in offense but they were great defensively and it's like all right well if you have to pick if you have to pick one ideally top five in both that'd be awesome but if you have to pick one to be great in or a top five in pick defense in this when you have generational stars who can generate your offense and make it click when the time counts because like you look at the defense and like for the season yeah the the Lakers ranked you know 11th offensively but nobody's like scared if the Lakers can score the ball in the playoffs in the fourth quarter when you have LeBron and AD out on the floor so if it means sacrificing a little bit of the offense and focusing a lot more on the defense and getting better defensively, and we're sitting there looking at you know Dallas being like eighth in the league offensively, like oh man, look at our offenses went down. It's not as good as it was last year, but we're really good defensively. That's perfectly fine because we have Luka Doncic. Okay, I mean we have a top five player in the league on our team that can create the offense on his own and all that. So that's what that's all I want to say to that. Luka is good enough too. And I know that there could be some regression in that three-point shooting because so many guys had career years last year, but Luka's good enough. Like, I'm not sure the Mavs will ever rank outside the top 10 in offense. I, yeah. They, they, like, during Dirk's prime, they were top five most years. They were top 10 almost every year of his career uh, up until, like, you know, the last couple of years. They were... The Mavs were an elite, elite, elite offensive team all the time because Dirk was just that good. And Luca is definitely that kind of player, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. And anytime you got a guy like that, you, you know what you're going to get. The The baseline, the floor of your offense is going to be higher than most teams in a league's ceilings. Yep. Well, the ceiling is the roof. We know that. <laughs> and uh, there are no ceilings for Luca or for Lil Wayne. Isaac, this is good stuff, man. It's very nerdy stuff, but this is this is important. And this is this is what is going to determine like how far the Mavs go. I mean, offense is great, and believe me, I love offense so much more than defense. Like Jamal Mosley took over the offense this year, and I'm like, dude, good for you. Like it because he's gonna have fun. Like offense is fun, defense is is ugly and nasty, but like you got to be able to do it if you want to win. And so, how far the Mavs go this season will totally be dictated by how well they defend. And so I think it's important that we hit on this early, just like it's important that the team is focusing on this as well. Uh, okay, I want to look ahead to next week real quick. The NBA schedule is going to be coming out. Rumor has it, maybe today, uh, but it will certainly be sometime between now and probably Monday or Tuesday. So uh, next week on Mavs Daily, we're definitely going to be talking about that. We'll be talking a little bit about Christmas. We'll be talking about some of the other things that are happening in camp because they're going to be playing games here pretty soon. December 12th, yeah. that's next Saturday. There will be a game. So we'll be getting ready for the real basketball to start next week. Um, Isaac, thank you for joining me, man. I appreciate you as always. Isaac L. Harris on Twitter, Locked On Mavs. They're doing the dang thing every single day. Isaac and Nick over there on the Locked On Network. You can read his stuff at Mavs.com, including that Tyrell Terry piece. And a little birdie has told me that there's going to be another one coming out about a, another one of uh, the rookies here, hopefully pretty soon. So we'll see about that. I'm Bobby. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby Corella. And uh, this is Mavs Daily. We're out of here. We'll see you next week. <laughs>